0: Our story this morning, I Love You Stinky Face, is one of my children's favorite books from when they were little. They would ask me to read it again and again and my copy is well-worn. They delighted when I came up with different voices for the various creatures and the kids would giggle and smile and they would reach for the book to pause and look more closely at the pictures on the pages which are definitely forever creased and smudged from eager toddler fingers. And at the end of every reading, I would turn to my kids and look them in the eye and say, I love you, stinky face. And they knew what that meant. You may be wondering why a children's book should inspire such analysis on a Sunday service, but there is truth to be uncovered in the innocence of this youthful story. And there is a playfulness to the concern, which really approaches one of life's biggest questions. Are we worthy? In the story, the child is anxious before going to bed. Like many of us, our anxiety starts swirling in the evening. We worry about small things like, did I set my alarm? And big things like, where do I belong? The child in this story has a fear that they might not be lovable. Not only do they worry about not being lovable or being lovable, I believe they worry about whether every part of them is worthy of love. The child is asking about unconditional love. The child fears that they might lose or never earn their parents' love if they are different. And fear is a strong motivator. So many of us respond to this worry in our own lives by putting on a smile and acting in a way that is deemed acceptable to society, not being our true selves in a way that is, um, yeah, not being true to ourselves or at the very least feeling shame for who we might be if we were truthful. In our story, the child gives the mother fantastical scenarios to test her love. I wonder if we do the same accounting for ourselves. Do we wonder, am I lovable and loving to myself? And this is an essential question because to love the world, we must begin with ourselves. Angel Coyote Williams, author, activist, and Zen priest said in an interview, we cannot have a healed society. We cannot have change. We cannot have justice if we do not reclaim and repair the human spirit, if we don't do inner work. That is to say that our inner lives are critical for creating peace and love. Of course, Repairing the human spirit means we must consider the other side of peace and love, suffering and grief. For many people, and common in American mainstream culture, suffering and grief are uncomfortable topics. It's easier to deny grief and hold on to anger rather than work through our traumas. The mindset that I grew up with led me to ignore my suffering pushing it way down deep into the crevices of my heart, out of sight, out of mind. Ignore, ignore, ignore. Well, as part of my spiritual and religious formation, I turned to some Buddhist teachings to learn how I might find a better way to reclaim equanimity. I began to understand that suffering and grief are a natural part of life, and Buddhist Teachings tell me I can notice a situation, process my feelings, and let those feelings flow on. Buddhist monk, author, and teacher Thich Nhat Hanh said, enlightenment is when a wave realizes that it is the ocean. And these words give me comfort in a way because I realize that in the grand scheme of things, my experience of suffering and grief even joy, are just a drop in the endless waters of life that encompass the past and the present and the future. I am infinitesimal, and I am everything. I simply am. And this perspective helps me when I start to become overwhelmed by the challenges of life. I thought Buddhism was a religion for only the rational-minded folks, that emotions held no place in the Enlightenment. Weren't we supposed to free ourselves from the attachment of feelings? But this isn't quite the accurate picture. In the book Three Pillars of Zen, I learned about the hara, and that's the center of psychic and spiritual energies, which is in the region of our bellies. The function of the Hara makes me think of the phrase, gut feelings. Author Philip Kaplow says, with the mind settled in the Hara, narrow and egocentric thinking is superseded by a broadness of outlook and a magnanimity of spirit. Perception from the Hara tends towards integration and unity rather than division and fragmentation. In short, it is thinking which sees things steadily and whole. The figure of the Buddha seated on his lotus throne, serene, stable, all-knowing, and all-encompassing, radiates boundless light and compassion. And that's the foremost example of Hara expressed through perfect enlightenment. From our very centers, emotions are processed and balanced And then they can be transformed to ones of compassion, generosity, and resilience. There is no eradication of emotion in Buddhism, rather, an acknowledgement and a transmutation of feelings into a state of peace. There are several spiritual practices that we can engage. to achieve that state of peace and equanimity, like the one we just tried a few minutes ago. And I find it challenging personally when I feel things so intensely. So it's good for me to try different ways to mindfulness. I think our child in stinky face story was engaged in a spiritual exercise to determine their own worthiness, to let go of fears and find peace with the assistance of their mother. In these faithful actions is an invitation to see the holy within and in each other through the wonder of childlike curiosity. And this is powerful and difficult, especially for us adults. We can try to hold a childlike innocence in our minds, taking a posture of what's called a beginner's mind, so that we can approach a practice with open curiosity. The spiritual practice that I find most meaningful and difficult to do is a meditation called loving kindness. And you can find a singing version of this in our teal hymnal number 1031, if you're taking notes, filled with loving kindness, which is like a prayer to self and to others. Let me share with you these words. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be whole. And then we get a little bit deeper. May you be filled with loving kindness. May you be well. May you be peaceful and at ease. May you be whole and then we keep going further out with the love. May we be filled with loving kindness. May we be well. May we be peaceful and at ease. May we be whole. With the practice of loving kindness, my heart feels capable of holding so much more love for others, including those who I do not generally find to be good humans. But the struggle, the biggest struggle though, is when I turn this practice towards myself. Psychologist Dr. Kristin Neff offers this wisdom on her website, selfcompassion.org. Instead of mercilessly judging and criticizing yourself for various inadequacies or shortcomings, Self-compassion means you are kind and understanding when confronted with personal failings. After all, whoever said you were supposed to be perfect? Perfectionism is a burden that I carry. Maybe you do too. Not only is it a wall blocking me from self-compassion, but it is a characteristic of white supremacy culture. Self-compassion is an antidote to perfect, perfectionism. I learned of another practice in The Wise Heart by Jack Cornfield called RAIN. The RAIN technique is a simple way for folks to become aware of feelings and not to become attached to them. The acronym stands for R is recognize feelings, A is for accept the feelings, I, is for investigate the feelings and its relationship to your body. That's really key. How's this showing up in your body? And then N, non-identify or non-attach to the feelings. And this last component is the piece that really sets us free. We can hold on to our grief. It's appropriate, as is our righteous anger for things. But how it sits in our bodies That's the thing we can let flow on. Cornfield says, while our problems don't stop when we recognize and do not identify with them, we are no longer reactive and stuck. Their liberating energy brings us more fully alive. He proposes that rain helps us understand that our consciousness is like a mirror, a mirror reflecting all things, yet remaining bright and shining, unchanged by whatever images, beautiful or terrible, may appear within. And this is a helpful way for me to observe myself without inducing feelings of shame. Being able to see truths without feelings of guilt is the first step in setting myself free. Cornfield writes, Just as the great oceans have but one taste, the taste of salt, so do all the teachings of Buddha have but one taste. The taste of liberation. I can tap into my pain and suffering, notice it, and let those sticky, yucky feelings go. And by letting it go, I mean the destructive qualities that keep me stuck. The mindfulness and meditation practices of Buddhism and and other traditions represent a connector piece between the mind and the heart that may be missing for many of us. All too often in Unitarian Universalist congregations, there is a sole focus on the mind and rational thinking and a divorce from the heart and the body. And as our faith evolves, connections of mind and heart Are so important for our spiritual maturation and justice work. The heart work begins when we cultivate respect, starting with ourselves. When we learn, as Cornfield says, to rest in our own goodness, we can see the goodness more clearly in others. I believe that learning about Buddhism has helped me to see my own holiness and the holiness of others, which creates sacred relationship. And as a covenantal faith, it is essential that we Unitarian Universalists understand the sacred relationships with one another and the something that is bigger than ourselves, which you may call love, the universe, or the divine. Buddhist practices can help provide a path of self-discipline and a way to integrate what is going on in the world And a way to process how to feel about it, with love as our center value and a mindfulness practice, we can come to know and feel a kind of acceptance. Angel Coyote Williams says, "It is developing our own capacity for spaciousness within ourselves to allow others to be as they are. That that is love. And that doesn't mean that we don't have hopes or wishes that things are changed or shifted, but." That to come from a place of love is to be an acceptance of what is, even in the face of moving it towards something that is more whole, more just, more spacious for all of us. It's bigness, it's allowance, it's flexibility. It is about expanding our capacity for love as a species. And this is how we can cultivate community. If through the practice of loving ourselves and each other, we may increase our capacity to take risks, to hope, and to heal. As a faith where prayer is service to others, we Unitarian Universalists are charged to make the world a better place and to work for justice and equity we often leap over self-work to wanting to help others because in some ways this is easier. And then, when we work to help others, we are sometimes unable to process our feelings or let go of that which is not ours to hold, i.e. some unresolved trauma. And of course, this is a plug here that if you have unresolved trauma, I hope you might seek out therapy because you don't have to go it alone. It's so tempting to internalize the feelings of injustice, to have righteous indignation, and it can lead to overwhelming feelings which can then stall the actions to help others or the willingness to accept change. Many UUs, including myself, are unwilling or scared to start or continue the work of liberation within our own lives. Mama Rod Owen's Author, activist, and Buddhist teacher cautions, if we don't do our work, we become work for other people. Let me say that one again. If we don't do our work, we become work for other people. Mindfulness practices help us to face our fears, to find peace, to develop compassion for ourselves and others. You may be thinking, we don't have time for all this inner peace when there are so many critical justice situations that need our attention. On the website MindWorks, Sarah Mae Conway says, contrary to what some might think, mindfulness isn't at odds with taking action. In fact, authentic meditation practices inspire and prepare us to do work for real change in the world. Real change occurs when we strike the proper balance between working on ourselves and working within relationships and structural systems. We have a glorious opportunity here for growing empathy, for changing systems and helping all to thrive. While suffering is part of the human condition, we can and must work to ease a suffering society. It begins with us, practicing, working on ourselves, being in support of spiritual community like Neshoba Church, and cultivating wise hearts. Cornfield writes, it is not given to us to know how our life will affect the world. What is given to us is to tend the intentions of our heart and to plant beautiful seeds with our deeds. Do not doubt that your good actions will bear fruit and that change for the better can be born from your life. Y'all, we are here at Neshoba to get good and do good. Let us begin with peace in our hearts. Let us do the work of cultivating loving community And let us go forth with hope and determination to help all people thrive. May it be so.